entrepreneurs are most successful when they can like take that like hard time and use it almost as like a productive chip on their shoulder to get them out of a victim mindset. Cause you really cannot get that far in entrepreneurship in victimhood. You just can't. And so getting yourself out of that, usually getting out of a like a, oh man, woe is me mindset kind of requires you getting a little mad. Mm, I kind of feel that. I think that's the next vibration after. I think that there are, are more after other ways to handle things, but there's a little bit of like, all right, watch me. You know, they say women shouldn't be bossy. We're out here reclaiming that word. What's so wrong with being the boss? I'm Tara Reed, the CEO of a multi-million dollar ed tech business. And I'm Katie Gaddy Tossan, better known as Money with Katie on the internet. At our core, we're driven by a shared ambition to build our own mini empires. Welcome to Bossy. I had this idea that once our business finally made a million dollars in a year, I was like, once we cross that seven figure mark, that means everything's good. Problems have been solved. Like we're, we're done. We did it. And then we did it. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Now I just have very different problems and like much harder ones. Wait, you're saying you thought the problems were going to go completely away. Yeah, I guess I didn't really <laughs> yeah. give it much thought, if I'm being honest. We talk about the seven figure mark like it's just like dun dun dun. It's the summit. Yeah. And then you get to the summit and you're like, oh, no, but there, this is an endless mountain. You realize, you realize at the summit that there is way more to go and also that like there's still way more to do. Right. Like there's yeah. still like I have this tweet that I wrote that was like building a company is like like playing a video game and that you slay the dragon. Then you get to the next level and you've got to like slay the next dragon. You get to the next level and there's just more dragons and they just get bigger each time. Like that's what it actually feels like. It's so it's so impolite. Yeah. I don't know, dude. It was just a, it was like, a, oh, I, I really thought we were going to feel like we had arrived and that we had really done something. And then I feel like the other piece of it is that you start to see other businesses that are run similarly to the way yours is or like similar business models that are way bigger. And you're like, oh, I didn't even my brain hadn't even gone there as like a potential. Yes. Because when you get to seven figures, you realize that oh, seven figures is not even anything. Like it's not it's not something that's not anything. Well, but it's just no. like there's so, I know I don't want to say it's not anything, but there's so much more. And I think that's part of being like an ambitious person yeah. is like there's always the next stage there's the next step and you get more access to the next step. I have a question for you. What is something, what's a dragon that you were slaying at an earlier stage, like just hitting six figures? And what's a different dragon that maybe you're working on now? Hmm. It's a good question. I think in the beginning, uh, maybe a, a six figure dragon was even just getting the hang of producing the amount of content we wanted to it was like when do we want to be putting out new episodes when do we want you know what's our voice like these were things that in the early days are hey we need to make sure we're posting every day twice a day because we need to really like grow the audience that felt really important that was like top tier priority at the time because you're just trying to get the thing off the ground and for most of the beginning it was just me so it's how can I just keep pumping out new stuff Whereas now I feel like we have that down and we have a pretty good cadence. We know our voice. We're really strong in our you know, perspectives. And and I think we have a good sense editorially of what we want to do. But there's right now in the current ad market where, you know, you have financial advertisers pulling back, given a lot of the volatility in the market. 
and just people in general you know, spending less. Yeah. I mean, we are really fighting for our lives right now, which is we've got great content. How do we make sure we align that with the right partners? And so that's, you know, it, it's it's just funny to get to that point and to have a really good year and then go, oh, but wait, no, that doesn't just sustain itself. You got to you got to figure out in different environments that dragon's going to yeah. keep coming back and you got to figure out how to. OK, now now it's a little bit different. How do I adjust? Yeah, but I think you at each level then using this dragon analogy, the video game analogy, mm -hmm. you also not only are the dragons bigger, but you also have more tools. Mm. Right. So one of the tools is not necessarily having to worry about all the things that came in the previous phase. So it sort of sounds like figuring out what the product was and how you were going to deliver was the one of the six figure challenges and battles to work through. Now I'm hearing you say it's more about like consistency and also just like managing flowing with changing economies and markets. And and by the way, you're not the only person who's <laughs> going through that. Like I think everybody, a lot of um, markets right now, a lot of businesses are trying to figure out like, okay, yeah. economy shifting. How are we going to like adapt the business? Like I, it's definitely not just you. I think the like name of the game is like survive until 2025 is what's happening. <laughs> survive right now. until 25. Well, and I think it's also been inspiring because I look at other businesses that are really thriving right now. Mm. I'm like, what are they doing? Like, let me look at businesses that are not just seven, but are eight figures that have somehow gone from that seven figure summit to eight. Yeah. Remarkably quickly in many ways. And in many cases, but also by doing things that are a little bit, uh, I'd say outside the box, a little bit unorthodox. So what are some companies you feel like are like ahead of you in the video game? Yes. Okay. So one that I think is really interesting, and I know, I think you're a fan of hers, Cody Sanchez. Yeah. And the contrarian thinking world. Yes. So I was doing some digging because I, I'm pretty sure based on, she did an interview on My First Million that I listened to, and I think she's very smart. And- Sean was kind of hitting her with some hardball questions, which I appreciated because she was really, you know, it wasn't like fluff that she was yeah. talking about. But I am pretty sure they're they're in that like between 10 and 50 million phase right now okay. with contrarian thinking specifically. So the way that it it seems to you know work from what I can gauge online is like they have Main Street Holding Company as okay. one part of the business, which is where they're actually buying businesses they're mm -hmm. going out they're buying small businesses then they have contrarian thinking which is like the media arm of the brand of the company mm -hmm. and there's like a bit of a an interesting flywheel happening where the businesses they're buying provide content to then be creating about which mm -hmm. then attracts other people who want to sell them their business or want to work with them to buy a business, yeah. which then powers and then the, the loop continues. So yeah. there's like an interesting, I'll say real life component of the game that they're playing. And they have the educational side, the courses where they'll teach you how to buy a business. So which then probably funds more of the cash flow available to like buy more businesses. For so there's sure. a whole flywheel. Yeah. And like maybe they're going to even be partners or get some equity in some of the deals if they're helping to structure them. So, yeah, it's it's a lot to me from the outside looking in. I mean, they've done this in three years and we're talking eight figures just on the media side alone. I don't even think they're really working with advertisers. I think it's fully selling the product and the courses to 
their readers and they just built up this massive audience of people that yeah. want to buy businesses. When you say media, you mean the education side of the business. Yeah, and yeah. The, the, the TikTok, the Instagram, which I think is mostly Cody, yeah. the newsletter. So she's the face of it. But I know they have a team that works on this stuff. And it strikes me that be, I think she said in the conversation with Sean, which I, it like stuck out to me. I was like, oh, that's odd. That's an interesting. I, I wonder what what's up with that. She's like, I don't think we're really going to work with advertisers in general. She's yeah. like, I think we're just going to advertise our own stuff. Yeah. And I was like, now that's interesting because then you're keeping that ecosystem totally insulated. And then yeah. the market forces are really a little bit less important at that point. Like you're dealing with whether people want to buy your product. But when you get a big enough funnel and the product is good enough, yeah. you're, you're going to have people that want to buy businesses even in a recession or even when spending on other consumer goods might be lower. So. This is one really of those like things where I always look at other people's businesses and I'm always like, I know that there's multiple sides to everything because I would imagine that the market of people buying businesses and having available extra cash flow to buy a business and learn about buying a business, like we're coming into an economy where that will shift too. Mm. And so I don't know that that business in that next phase is completely exempt from some of the some things that you were talking about in sort of market changes. I know you have a slightly different business model than that's that. Interesting. But like, I don't know that that's going to be fully exempt from that. And I wonder if they're thinking about and Cody is thinking about how the market will shift and how to prepare and plan for it in a similar way that you are. I think, too, part of what's going to help them from what I can tell is that because they also in this holding company own small businesses, yeah. a lot of those small businesses are themselves recession proof. Mm. So like you still need to get your lawn mowed. You yeah. still need There's to- a lot of diversification. Yeah. It's like, these are not really, I mean- Okay, maybe outsourcing lawn care is to some a luxury good, but there's a lot of these boring businesses. She really like owns that sentiment, that segment now where she's self-storage. I mean, like, I don't think she's the the self-storage person. I would say yeah. that's more the, the Nick Huber guy. But there's there's something about how even if they didn't have it, I think right now they actually make more money from the small businesses they own than from the the courses that they're selling. Yeah. So it's it seems like it's a pretty 50-50. I also would wonder what you would think about this in the context of like the last 12 months, because I would say that the although the economy was good, like if you look at just the metrics of what measures low unemployment, um, high gr GDP growth, we'll say good economy, like by all by all measures, really. But because the sentiment was so negative and pessimistic and like the misery index was so high, I mm. would think that because people felt like the economy was really bad, that you might have already started to see some of this because it's people just like battening down the hatches because they're waiting for something to happen and get bad. I think different things happen for different industries at different times, too. Right. Like we know that education does really well in a recession. That's when people are like, all right, I'm going to go mm -hmm. get new skills and go grow. So I think different things happen at different yeah. times. But I think the commonality here, because we're talking about battles that you have to fight at six figures, battles that you have to fight at seven figures, battles that you have to fight at now eight figures in this example. And I think preservation, diversification, those are things that you're really thinking about as you hit eight figures and beyond is like, how do we actually preserve and diversify? So I think that mm -hmm. what you're talking mm -hmm. about with Cody's business and Main Street Holding Company and Contrarian Thinking or maybe they're starting to think about diversification and why those sort of diversification strategies are starting to make sense. Yeah, that could totally be. Yeah. I think the other one that I really like, have you heard of Blogilates? No. Okay, so this is like, if, if, if contrarian thinking is like the rapidly growing like three years, zero to 60, yeah. Blogilates is like the 10-year slow burn. Okay. But with such an insane trajectory. So 
Blogilates, like Pilates, right. a blog about Pilates. So the gal's name is Cassie Ho. She was a um, Pilates YouTuber. She started ah. in the 2010s. And for a business that started as her literally making Pilates videos on YouTube, she has now not one, but two different eight-figure merch lines. She has a line in Target, uh, I think, which is just called Blogilates, and you can it's like in every Target that yeah. does eight figures in revenue a year. I'm not sure what the market is like. The merch is like, like t-shirts and like things that say Blogilates. No, actually, good question. Uh, it's it's more so workout equipment. Oh. So it's functional. Okay. It's not just like, hey, I'm repping the brand. It's like kettlebells and dumbbells and like the, the mm-hmm. mats and the it's whatever. Blogilates equipment. Yes. Okay. And then there's also Pop Flex, which is her fitness wear line, which These is names actually. Are so cute something that i think i could somewhat somehow see you doing this someday so she was really into fashion like she's a pilates gal but she's really into fashion and so she started basically meshing these two desires loves together and would sketch out different active wear that was like really cute and very Mm -hmm. unique and whatever and like if you would have told me that idea five years ago i would have been like don't even bother lululemon's gonna eat you alive don't waste your time like interesting to see that the market would not be big enough past lululemon yeah for a youtuber's like fashion line Uh, i was like no chance that's gonna take off wrong pop flex fitness wear does more than 10 million a year uh, in addition to the target line which is like the equipment and that's yeah, she like i'm pretty sure her. she like fully owns it so to me it's just unbelievable that something that started as a youtube channel she was able to take it in two related directions to be doing 20 million plus and i think they have a pretty small team it's it's pretty amazing and so she's really good at this like content product fit thing that Colin and Samira coined, which is like basically she makes these 60 second clips of her designing the thing. Oh, cute. And so it's like a, um, I don't know what it's called, not stop motion, but like the sped up sketch. Yeah. Though. Yeah. And so you see it coming together and then there's like text on screen. You don't have to watch it with sound. One of them of her designing a bra that they were selling got 28 million views. Mm. Her sketching a bra. This is good. Like, this oh is like the God. Kylie Jenner social media model where you put the creation of the experience and you get to like promote it all on social and then just drive a ton of people to right it. and i just build an audience first i think that it's so brilliant because in both of these cases what i would highlight as like the takeaway and the learning is that both of these people are not really advertising for other people's brands they're creating their own and then selling their own product yeah which is 10 times more lucrative if you can pull it off. Is that why you think about them as a blueprint for like you thinking about going to the next level and instead of having sort of an advertising business model just mainly about internal products and that being the next move? Is that why you sort of look at these as inspo? I think so because I feel like A, just the size they've attained. I'm like, you don't get to that size by accident. Mm. That takes a lot of strategic thinking and planning. Yeah. And I think that just sensing those commonalities of like, okay, they're really not... I'm sure they do some advertising, but it's not like they're doing 20 million a year in advertising revenue because the audience to make that much from advertising has to be enormous. Yeah. And so in these cases, they have really big audiences, but it's because they're able to they're able to organically work their own products into their own content. And it's a product that innately and naturally fits the need of their audience. The Blogilates example is interesting to me in particular because 
getting to that scale is one thing doing it and sort of maintaining over mm-hmm. 10 years is another thing that's really impressive to me because at that we've been doing it for 10 years that means that you really have had to put in totally different systems in place for that kind of sustainability mm-hmm. you can kind of like get to a big number and not like maintain exactly. a big number and so like as we're talking about sort of what it takes at each level that's to me really, really interesting about that example is that mm-hmm. like not only at te- 20 million 10 million in revenue is it 20 million something 20 like that. for cassie i think somewhere in the 10 range for cody but it honestly yeah. could be higher i don't know yeah and i think in cassie's scenario with like longevity mm-hmm. there is super interesting i think that when you think about getting to seven figures right the the main things you have to be good at one of the big things you have to be good at is like figuring out your product and so as you were talking about like some of the first hurdles that you had to run over I was like yeah that makes a lot of sense because talking to your customers is like a big thing that you have to spend a lot of time with to get to that seven figures that lots of people are just not doing they're not regularly like understanding what's going on with their customers they also are just not willing to like put themselves out there I actually think putting yourself out there is Mm. the biggest thing that stops people from getting from zero to six figures Okay. Because just like being willing to have something like that's not great at first and you're just going to evolve it and get it better. That's why it's so important for us to talk about these these as distinct phases, because the problem is that if we're talking about seven to eight, we're like, you have to do things that scale, that are sustainable. Like, the, you know, these are these. Things. No, but at the beginning. But for six, you got to do things that don't scale. You yes. got to be scrappy. Yes. Nothing you're doing is going to scale. Talking to all your customers all day long, that's not sustainable. That doesn't scale, but that's what you have to do. A hundred percent. In the beginning. A hundred percent. And it will get in your way. So if you're like, no, the product has to be perfect like an eight-figure business product, nope. then you're not going to be able to get anything done and get out there. There's, you know, this video they have of like the side-by-side of um, Blue Ivy. Is that, that's Beyonce's daughter's yeah. name, right? Blue Ivy, when she started the tour. Oh, gosh. And like her doing her dance break. And she's like, not really that good. And then to now where she's been doing it on tour, just back to back. And she's like, now it's good. But when it started, it's like how it started, how it's going. Oh, my God. How it started was rough. That's how your startup is going to go. And I think (laughs) so much of getting to that first six figure benchmark is like just being okay with that. Yeah. Well, you got it. What is that line that's like, uh, Sucking is the first step at being really good at something. Yeah, I also be like willing to suck. I also like if you're not embarrassed of the first version of your product, then you launch too late. Oh, yeah. That's Reed Hoffman, the founder. Of I LinkedIn. love to look back at whenever I'm having a bad day. I just go back and look at the first wealth planner. I think it was called the Budget Builder. It was brown. Yeah, I I must have been going through a dark time. I don't know what (laughs) prompted that color choice, but I'm like, wow, this is this is evolution. This is growth. But it's true. It's nice to look back and go. Yeah, but you still made five thousand dollars out of thin air with that fugly thing. A hundred percent. If I look back at like first versions of apps without codes course, like it just really wasn't that great. If I even go back even further and look at my first app, which the first version of the product wasn't even fully an app yet. I don't know if I ever told you this story. 
story. Oh, gosh. So my first company is called Collecto, and we built this algorithm to match people to artwork, like painting, photography, based on their taste. And the first version of it, we used surveys. And, you know, surveys have, like, show-hide logic. Yes. So you can see, like, if people said they like painting and they have this certain budget and they, like, like abstraction, it would show things that match that and, like, hide everything else. And so really it was, like, me going to surveygizmo.com, paying maybe, like, $59 a month for this survey and like giving people art recommendations as a result and like made my first $35,000 of revenue using that tool. But like I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a hot mess that like I cobbled together, but it worked and like got revenue and got like, you know, validation. That's the stuff you got to do at Little the beginning. proof of concept. Yeah. Tara's yeah. like, I got this sleek new app and it's like a, like a juiced up Google form. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. A hundred percent. Like juice up Google form. People kept saying like, oh, I like your app this so this is amazing thank you so much like we bought art from it and i was like okay well we should upgrade it but like here's the first version okay i really want to hear in the comments if there's any like what is your embarrassing first version your embarrassing yeah. v1 i think that that's uh that's or a, a you, fun little exercise and if you don't already have a published embarrassing v1 what could it be yeah. Like what could you make your embarrassing V1 if you were like, all right, just the bare minimum that we need to get people to help people to serve people. What's the bare minimum mm -hmm. that we need? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also like on social media, speaking of just like leveling up over time and giving yourself grace for that. There's this like time lapse video of Kendall Jenner modeling. Oh, the walk. The walk. Have you seen her early walk? I had never seen this. She wasn't <sighs> Not good. since like 2009 on Kardashians when she was like 13. She's like, Mom, I want to yes. be a model. It's totally that. It's like the progression of from 13 to now. And people are like, oh, well, she's only being able to be a model because she's has all these connections. <laughs> but like she didn't start good and she's worked at it and it has gotten better over time. There is a hilarious. I don't know why this is still on the Internet. It's like Kendall Jenner's modeling advice for Seventeen magazine. And she's like 15 in this video <laughs> and she's like sitting on her bedroom floor. And she's I swear to you, the advice like boils down to the idea that you should try to just look good from all angles. She's like modeling super fun. And like some people have a good side. But like I think it's really helpful if you can just like, you know, love all your sides. And I was like riveting. We are we are getting <laughs> she's probably not wrong. We are but getting like... some really valuable but no i hear you i hear you. deep she, advice she we're getting some deep deep modeling advice from yeah we'll be right back to the conversation after a quick break take your business further with the smart and flexible american express business gold card it offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business you can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, back to the show. I think another thing to get to that first milestone of like six figures is being okay copying other business models within reason. Like mm -hmm. I literally just heard you talk about here are the other businesses that I'm looking at that I'm like, oh, I like what they're doing. Oh, I like what they're doing. And I see so many people get stuck because they're like, I don't want to, somebody else did something like that. So I got to do the exact opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And in reality, there's probably a blueprint that you can go sort of reverse engineer, go sort of like see what they're doing and then take the things that you like and work for you. I think so many times people get stuck and they're not able to get to that six figure mark because they're not 
looking at best practices and benchmarks. Do you think, though, that that works after? Like, would you say that that goes for all, quote unquote, levels? Mm. Is there anyone that you look at right now for like I just told you two of mine, any for apps without code that you're kind of looking at as a potential inspiration? Yeah, you. Me? Yeah. This year was the first year that we had advertisers reach out. And I was like, oh, wait, why is this not part of our business model mm. at all? Like, at all. Like, I wasn't even really on my radar. And so I think there are elements of lots of people's business models I'm looking at. But I think game. I'm totally inspired by you. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm so flattered. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we're just figuring it out as we go. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's what entrepreneurship looks like. So I think to get to that first six figures, those are some of the things that you really have Mm -hmm. to do. Like it's all about product, also about how you get to your first customers and marketing. It's about talking to customers. It's figuring out what they need, being okay copying existing models. It's about being okay being embarrassed of the first version. To get to the next level, to get like past that seven figure mark, I think it's a lot more about being a great manager putting structures and processes in place, like the, the things you need totally change. It's less about product now and more about like people and process. Okay. All right. Give me an example. Okay. So this is sort of what I'm really trying to lean into a lot more. I recently got an executive coach to like help mm-hmm. me with this stuff. So one of them is scorecarding. Okay. So tracking the most important metrics in your business and having ritual around it. And then the next level of that is not all of the metric tracking being you, but like your team being responsible for metrics. Okay. I feel like I've heard you talk about this a little bit in the past, but can you give, wh- yeah. what do you mean by how would someone implement a scorecard? Like okay. what are your, your things that you're watching? So for example, at Apps Without Code, we have like a weekly leadership team meeting. Okay. And on that meeting, the first thing we do is we open up the scorecard. Like everybody knows that's what we're doing for it. Like say hi to each other. It's like a little small talk. We catch up and then we immediately open up the scorecard. And this is every week. Every week. Gotcha. Every week. So the scorecard is organized so that there's a a column for every month. So we're looking at monthly numbers, but we're updating it weekly. Does that make Hmm, sense? Okay. Great. So the the first section of the scorecard is growth numbers. The second section is like operations numbers. Hmm, Okay. So external and internal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So on the growth section, there's a row for revenue. There is a row for number of calls booked. We give people free app strategy calls, and those often turn into people doing our training programs or us building the app for them. So, like, number of calls booked, call close rate, and then cash collected per lead. Those are the four metrics on the growth side that we track. And then on the operations side, it's like net promoter score that like on the scale of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend apps without code for people who are in the program? The net promoter score, number of apps launched, refund rate. Okay. Yep. Okay. So like those are the things that we're tracking. And I had to work really hard to only have those things on the scorecard, to like not have it be a long ass list of stuff because it's so easy to be like, oh, but there's also this and what about this? What about social media followers? What about this? That's like really easy to have a long list. And we had to really like tighten it up. Like these are the most important drivers. And the whole idea with the scorecard is I can see where everything is from a numbers perspective and also they're highlighted in like red, yellow, green. Okay. Okay, well, so I was going to ask, too, uh, I'm glad you said something about narrowing it down because I yeah. think it's very easy to get lost in the sauce. Yeah. To be like, well, there's tons of things we can track. It's like, well, what 
what really matters, what really moves the needle to track. Yeah. I also was surprised to hear when you're talking about operations, I thought you were going to take that in a different direction, actually, ah. and talk about like org health almost, or how are we measuring our own like efficacy as a team? Mm. So it's interesting that it's more so oriented toward operations of almost like customer success, yes. like NPS and refund rates. Like those to me are far more indicative of, yeah. okay, of the folks already in our program, how yeah. successful are we at giving them the experience that they paid for? Yeah. So that to me is, okay, that's interesting. I think a lot of people refer to operations as like logistics and like HR and yeah. like other things too. And our organization, that's not how we talk about operations. We talk about just like the operations of like delivering yeah. to our customers. Um, I think we're not big enough to have like an HR department or even person. The closest that we have to that is like a recruiter that works part-time. So like we don't have that as a structure. Mm -hmm. So they're the most important metrics and then they get color coded and it's sort of like, an auto, you know, you can like set the cell to like automatically yeah. color how it's in the range. So the whole idea with the scorecard is that I can go on vacation for any period of time. Imagine I'm going for an I going to an island. Or maybe you're going to New York to film Bossy for a week. Or maybe I'm going to New York to film Bossy for a week. We just throw it out there. Correct. Just a little meta reference. And I can look to be like, do I need to get on the plane to get back? <laughs> or can I stay here? That's what the scorecard is for. That's the whole framing of the scorecard. Like, is something in trouble? And, and what are the leading indicators? And that's actually how I think you should pick the things that go on the scorecard. One of them is like the main number. So like, for example, for growth, revenue should probably yeah. be your main number. But there's some things that drive revenue. Mm -hmm. And those are the leader ones that you should also be tracking so that when those start to lag, you know, maybe next month revenue might be down yeah, so you can get ahead of it. There you go. Yeah, the leading indicator. So um, you also said something that stuck out to me, which is that so you're not the one like it's not your metric that you're responsible for can you Correct. can you say more about that because i think what you're going to do is connect the dots here when with the earlier comment about the management yeah. and the people so how are you marrying these two things yeah so i think that probably what you should be doing you really should have been done doing it all along but maybe like between the six figure and the seven figure mark is getting some sort of scorecard in general oh. and then pass Past the seven figure mark is like getting other part people in your team to own the scorecard. So, okay. and you could probably do that earlier, but like, so it doesn't have to be exactly then. Do you have a scorecard? She said, Katie, where's your scorecard? Where's your scorecard? I do girl? not have a scorecard. Well, we do, we do measure growth across channels and yeah. whatnot, but we don't have any sort of comprehensive, like, um, I wouldn't say that e although we're tracking a lot of these things, it's not in this way that is kind of laddering up to anything productive. It's just kind of like, there's the numbers. So I think that what I what I would need to do to connect those dots is to take a step back with the team, first of all, yes. and like define the quarterly goals that we're even trying to hit that we'd be checking in on every week. And that way we're like, have this like kind of punctuality of-, of So I actually think the scorecard number should outlive the quarter. Yeah, yeah. But like, I think it, it sounds, though, like those quarterly, like something must come before the scorecard, right? Because you got to get people on the same page. Yeah. So we do definitely do exercises on like what the metrics are going to be. Um, and mainly I let my team leads who lead growth, who lead operations determine what they think the metric should be. And then I just push and nudge until the list gets short enough. Okay. So like, let's say we were doing this for bossy and for our own show, Whew. right? 
What do you think should be on our scorecard? <sighs> on our scorecard. I've been like in Slack bugging about uh, yeah, having you a scorecard. And, and I feel like you're you're knocking on a lot of doors for that scorecard. Um, no, I think we get to design the scorecard. I think uh, I would say in the be- it's going to change. I think that in the beginning, though, audience growth to me is what I would point to as mm. proof of concept that people want to listen to this because I think everything else will come second. So is that a percent like it's a month over month percent growth or a annual growth? Like, what do you I think? would have to sit down and really think about what an appropriate target would be if I had to put a number on the month over month growth percentage. But I think as long as things are generally moving up into the right at yeah. a decent clip and that the feedback is positive yeah. for the most part or like positive and also c- constructive. Yeah. Then I would say we're moving in the right direction. But the metric is month over month growth is what you're saying. I think yeah. so, yeah, okay. of, of the audience. Because yeah. I think the revenue and I think those things come later in a content business. Month over month growth of what audience? Would you like all audiences? Because people listen to us on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, like all over. Yeah. What I would say for that is probably I wouldn't set a precedent up front. I'd want to I would want to measure the entire audience across all of these verticals, but with an eye on which one seems to be taking off the most. Yeah. That way we can see what do we really have here? Is this an audio only audience? Are they really hungry for pods? Is it like a YouTube audience that really wants the visual show? Because yeah. we have such a beautiful set and we wear such fun outfits and we're putting a lot of effort into the visuals. But if like 10, 12 months down the road, it's like YouTube's not going anywhere and the podcast is popping off. It'd be like, well, hey, guess what? Maybe we don't need to be investing all the resources in the set and yeah. the outfits and whatever. If people don't want to watch it, yeah. that's not my, my hypothesis is the opposite. Okay, wait, we'll wait. This is important, which okay. you said. Because you have an actual strategic hypothesis. You think oh, okay. that we're going to go in a certain direction. But I want to test that. I don't want to assume that because I think if we put it everywhere, promote it all, then we can really see where the audience for the show is. And I think you can shape that. Like you can make a really good video product that's likely to take off. But it's kind of it's kind of odd. Like we'll have, for example, we know Money with Katie show listeners primarily use Apple podcasts. I don't know why that is. Daily Show, Brew Daily Show, I think they primarily have like a Spotify heavy audience. I don't know why that is. So I think your scorecard should be indicative of your strategy. And it doesn't mean that there's a bunch of things that you're not. You are also doing a bunch of other things. Right. So I think if I were making a scorecard for Bossy, if we think that like we're going to go, we think we should go in the direction of people being able to watch us on video on YouTube, then I would put that on the scorecard. We can change it at any point. But I do think that, like, here's where we're going. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying you got to take a little bit more of a definitive stance on that scorecard. Because it's not like, we'll see what happens. You're like, no, you have the hypothesis. Build the scorecard for the hypothesis. I think so. I think to some extent, yes. Because if you don't, then otherwise you have a line item for Instagram growth, a line item for uh, TikTok growth, a line item for YouTube growth, a line item for like all the different platforms, all the different channels. And I do think you should track all of that. But the executive scorecard that like tells you when you can come back from vacation is really about the strategy of the business so I think that actually like the little activity we just did around thinking about it for bossy is indicative of what are the things that are most important but also how does that match our strategy what we're trying to drive forward Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that's how I think about scorecards I think that's one of the things that comes like as we're trying to get past seven figures yeah I was gonna say because I think 
if you had asked me to sit down and do this scorecarding exercise for money with Katie six months in, a year in, I would have been like, I don't really even know what I have on my hands yet. Like, I don't really have a hypothesis. Now, granted, I was not building it all that strategically. It was just kind of vibes. But I think it's actually in some ways a lot easier to do things like this once you know your business really well, because then, yes, you have a sense for like, okay, I know what's moved the needle over the last couple of years. So I think that this is an exercise that's especially helpful to your point. I know you said between six and seven, but I'm like, I think especially once you're in that seven and above range, then it becomes, okay, can you really throw some gasoline on the fire by what get really clear about what that hypothesis is and how can you track that a little bit more pointedly yeah i think that's right i think that's right another thing so if you look at like that scorecard that me and my team look at every week it has two tabs okay one of them has like the the metrics that we were just talking about the growth and operations metrics so like the most important things the other tab has what we're working on for the quarter okay so that's the quarterly planning this is actually much newer for me, I've been doing quarterly planning for like a year. I don't know mm. what I was doing before that. Like, I just, I don't know. Vibes. It, it's almost like I it feel is a little. too easy to run a business on vibes, though. I will tell you. Because you get in your, you get in your, like, routines and your, you know, you have a certain way of doing things. It's very, until someone is like, you don't have a scorecard. You're not quarterly planning. Yeah. You're well, like, uh, was I supposed to be? Like, I don't know. No one told me that. I think it's really easy to have a very you-centered, like, founder-centered business without those things. And once you want to, like, mobilize smart people to do smart things and just, like, leave them for strategy, not just for, like, getting things done, but, like, you drive the strategy. Yeah. And they've got to know where we're going. they got to know that the strategy is YouTube. Even if it's, like, may not be the right strategy, that's still the strategy. We have one, nonetheless, for example. So the other tab on this spreadsheet has, it says, like, Q4 planning or whatever quarter we're in planning and so for that spreadsheet what i do we have an activity we do at the beginning of the quarter okay and i ask each of my you know area team leads to determine two to three goals they have for the quarter we won't get into like all the details of what that planning process looks like but one of the most important parts of the planning process is that after they select a goal they have to clearly quantify what 25 percent completion means what 50% completion means, what 75% and 100% completion means. It has to be quantifiable. And then each week after we do the metrics, red, yellow, green, where are we? They also give me like a where are we in getting this project done? And I can push back of like, all right, we're like halfway through the quarter and we're at 25%. Mm-hmm. Like, What do we need to move to get that going? What do I need to clear for you? What do I need to help you with so that you can get that going? Or just you need to just like put your foot on the gas and let's go. Okay, so to summarize, it's that quarterly you're having your team leads. And you said this is new. So this is yes. something within the last year where yes. you are now saying, you tell me you tell me what you're focused on this quarter. You tell me what 25, 50, 75, and 100% would look like in these various things. Quantify that for me so that I know when I'm checking in with you. It's yes. basically like an accountability thing. A hundred percent an accountability thing. So they know what's most important. So I didn't distract them with some cool hobby project that I have an idea for. And like, no, they know exactly where they're going and what they're trying to drive that quarter. And the most important thing around quantifying them, like I'll give you an example. One of the things that we're working on this quarter is getting, we have this like AI tool that asks you questions and outlines your app for you. And it's something that we had been doing manually that we're turning into technology inside of our product. So... 
there are, first of all, we've got to actually launch a grading system for that. Hmm. So how do we know that that thing is working well? So what we do is we created this like scoring system for all of our folks who do the design meetings with our clients that are using this. They have scoring systems for it. So like if it was perfect generation, it was like a high score. If it was like you know, kind of wonky, or I guess it's kind of the other way around. It was It's technically a one if it's perfect. Um, mm. And so <laughs> what 25% complete on that project means is that the all of the design team is trained on that system. And 50% means that we have multiple weeks straight of X score and below. Okay. Like on that thing. And the next 75% is we have more weeks of a different score, like a higher score. And then that we've actually moved out because we're trying to do this to replace some of the manual work we're doing in meetings. So we've actually removed all of those meetings. We've done all the training. And now people can just use this self-service tool to just skip it. Right. Like that's a like a clear product improvement we're working on making and 25, 50, 75, 100 of exactly what that looks like. OK. It does kind of strike me as a bit of like a product manager. Um, yeah. Like a product roadmap in a way. hundred like percent. Kind of just defining that a little bit more explicitly between, I guess, in this case, kind of the thought peer, because you are giving them the reins. You're not dictating to them. This is what's important. You go do it. It's like. You tell me that, you know, you own this. I think that in itself is a very powerful shift that when you're going from six to seven or, you know, zero to six, you might be it, it might be you having all the ideas and basically figuring out who you yeah. can delegate and outsource to to bring your vision to life. But seven to eight. And maybe eight and beyond, we'll yeah, say. Yeah, it's about people helping I you I can't even get think there. beyond eight. I'm like, I eight is still feels so far away. But Just yeah, think yeah, about it's the like, next level. Yeah. You got to get the, the smartest mind, people that are smarter than you and, yes. and, and, and better than you are at these specific things. That way it's like, no, I am I hired you and I'm paying you because you know yeah. how to do this and I don't. And just to wrap that up, like I think a lot of people on your team are not going to know how to do this at the beginning. And you're not going to know how to do this at the beginning. So when we started doing this planning, I sort of set the expectation with my team, like, hey, we're not going to be perfect at this yeah. to begin with and like i'm going to be asking a lot of questions we're going to be figuring it out i'm not going to have it fully figured out but we're going to step into this more strategic quarterly planning and so it's a thing you can grow into it doesn't have to be like overnight all my people are perfectly ready for this and this is exactly what we need to do like you can grow into it yes yeah. agreed well <laughs> i think that part of a uh, part of the challenge of, of talking about things like scaling and going from like six to seven seven and eight like that's so exciting and like oh we're getting out there but i think that some years especially that is very challenging and yeah. this year has felt like one of those challenging years oh I my god feel like we're kind of circling a lot of these different management styles and different mindsets that you have to have and how you have to be zooming in or zooming out depending on the phase that you're in that way you're not approaching problems in the complete wrong way yeah so I feel like there are a, a few a few I don't know I don't want to say like key takeaways but there are, there are probably a few little uh, hot take soundbite like yeah. remember these things as you are navigating these waters yeah and I think that there are some things regardless of where you are that apply to everybody yeah like there's some things that you need at all levels not mm -hmm. just six figures seven figures eight figures etc I think one of them to the point you were saying earlier about like this year being hard this was a really hard year for me too I think realizing and this is I only realized this maybe like two years ago that like everybody else is struggling too. it's not just you 
everybody else is struggling too. I really realized this. So, okay, what year was this? This would have been 2021, maybe early 2022. I forget the exact year. iOS 14 came out and it really changed how companies Mm. can advertise on social media. So like Facebook ads, Instagram ads. And that really changed a lot in my business. We had done a lot of growth from advertising. And I didn't for that whole year talk to other founders who were in similar situations and it took me a whole year to realize that like oh like this is not just me yeah struggling with like the costs and sort of getting the the dialed in marketing metrics right the whole industry lots of industries are struggling with this and i think i was so heads down in like my own work that i didn't come up for air to like ask other entrepreneurs and i didn't have those like vulnerable conversations with in relationships with people so they could share like oh yeah that's going on with us too it's not Mm -hmm. just you and also here's all everybody else that's going on with Mm -hmm. so i think the first skill you need to have at all levels is realizing that like everybody's struggling everybody thinks it's hard it's not just you is everybody that definitely resonates i think that that helps a lot there was a tweet that you had shared with me that was like if you're flat this year that's yeah. basically like being up 30 percent because everything is so sideways that yes. like that's and i was like oh wow that's a good reframe because i think having only ever known really big growth and explosive it's like suddenly to have things kind of going off the rails a little bit, you're like, oh God, like I oh, I wasn't prepared for this. But I think that that highlights for me. So my kind of big sticking point that I think I am personally working through right now that I think applies across the board is this idea of resilience, mm. but also cyclicality and like how things come in waves and seasons. Yes. And so there's this idea, I have a couple little analogies because I love an analogy, but there's this idea that like, before a wave crashes to shore, it has to pull back and like regather its strength. Ooh. And there's like just as much power in the ebb as there is the flow. That's a fun one. I also think that there's this analogy around like reaping and sowing. And I think when you've been in a period where you're doing a lot of reaping and things are going really well, you can kind of get lulled into that complacency a little bit of like, okay, I did the hard work. The hard work's behind me now. Now I'm just, you know, now I'm just benefiting from all that hard work I did, not realizing that because these things happen in cycles and because the economy and spending, all these things are cyclical you are consistently going to be switching between reaping and sowing. And right now we're in a bit of a sowing period where we're working really hard. We're doing a lot of work and we're not really seeing a whole lot of return on it yet because it takes time. And so I think that that resilience, you, you almost forget about it after a certain point that, oh no, this is part of the game is just straight up endurance and, and keeping like, keeping the faith and not completely losing your mind when it feels like something is changing out from under you like the evolution is it's going to keep coming i think another skill that you really need at all phases is the ability to take some of the hard times that you're mentioning and those could be hard times wherever and do something generative with it Mm. like actually act on it and i i think this is sort of like controversial opinion but i think that entrepreneurs are most successful when they can like take that like hard time and use it almost as like a productive chip on their shoulder to get them out of a victim mindset because you really cannot get that far in entrepreneurship in victimhood you just can't like it it doesn't work and so getting yourself out of that usually getting out of a like a, oh man woe is me mindset kind of requires you getting a little mad 
I kind of feel that. I think that's the next vibration after. I think that there are, are more after other ways to handle things. But there's a little bit of like, all right, watch me. Mm-hmm. I like to watch me. Yeah. I think another one I would add to our list is the what got you here won't get you there. Because mm. I think for a long time I really clung to the things that used to work as though, okay, well, that got me to where, you know, that paid off. That worked really well. So if I just keep doing those things, more good things will happen. Not recognizing that, well, no, now the game is different. Now the game has changed. You can't keep playing it that same way. I think all these things that you're that we're mentioning are things that when I see entrepreneurs able to like hit milestones and hit the next milestone and hit the next milestone, they have that thing. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know what you think about this. And I would love to hear if you guys are watching this and can and see us on YouTube because we can see the comments on YouTube. You can tell us your answer to this. I'm curious what you think, Katie, and for those listening about whether or not entrepreneurship I'm gonna say requires but maybe just lends itself to like almost having like an addictive personality I mean I'm not gonna speak for everyone but I'd say that's definitely true for me it's definitely true for me too Yeah, yeah I for sure have an addictive personality I can't turn it off which I think I've that has been me my whole life by the way I've had you know the hyper fixation on certain things kind of forever but like this is something that this was my way of professionally reclaiming that tendency and being like well how can I turn this into an actually productive uh, way to spend my my time which is probably why I floundered a little bit when I first started working full time because I was having to spend all day on something that I was not obsessed with Mm. and like that was hard because I was like oh I just want to like I have all this like energy and I don't have anywhere to put it do you know any entrepreneurs who do not have that kind of addictive personality and they've just honed it well and use it i would say not personally no but i i I actually am thinking of like one person in particular that my friend jack knows it's like my friend's friend which i recognize is not a super valid connection but i do he he talked to me one time about this guy that was like had this like super balanced life and like wasn't obsessed with business and like had all these other interests so i'm like i know that it definitely exists and that people can manage it Mm. i don't think for me for whatever reason it's like I feel like maybe it's a phase or a season and like maybe after a certain point you're able to find that balance again. I do think, though, that it certainly lends itself to addictive tendencies, we'll say, or Or just at the beginning, you got to be personality. And at the beginning, you got to be kind of obsessed to like get it going. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think that's a little controversial, but I think it's true. I'm curious if people who are watching this think this is true, too. You can comment and let us know. But I do think the like obsession, at least to get to hit to seven figures, I would say kind of requires that. I think, too, the problem is that if you're not obsessed Someone that you're competing with is going to be obsessed and it's really hard to compete with someone that's eat, sleep, breathe it. Like you have to have an extra level of like intellect and just natural ability and connection. And like there are so many things that obsession can compensate for. Which is why that eight figure plus is all about sort of preservation of what you've mm -hmm. created, too, because somebody else might come after it. So, yeah, I think you're thinking about that. Us talking about eight figure businesses reminds me of like any time I talk about parenting or children on the money with katie show so i'm like yeah it's with your kids i'm like i don't have kids i'm like we are definitely like we should probably uh find someone that that has an eight-figure business to ask these some of these questions to like hey what do you think is this actually true because this is what we're seeing but do you know people who do 
Uh, yeah. That you're it, close with? Um, yes. I would say people that I could ask. I Should think, I go ask them? No, I'm just sort of watching your response to us talking about eight-figure business. And it's not just that, like, we aren't there. It's almost like I've almost, like, watched you just, like, tighten up when mm, we say it. Interesting. And I wonder if there's just, like, a lot of – I don't know if you feel, like, an imposter syndrome about us talking about it or mentioning yeah, it. Because, like, I don't think any of us are saying – either of us are saying, like, that we have done that. Right. But I almost notice, like, you're uncomfortable about that. Does I, it feel weird? Yeah, I think it feels weird because I, and just as a general rule, feel funny anytime I'm talking about something that, like, in an authoritative way mm. that I don't ha- haven't actually experienced myself. Yeah. Like, if you were to listen to the episodes about investing for kids that I do, I'm also cracking jokes the entire time about, like, or, you know, don't take parenting advice from me because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So it could be a, a self-deprecating thing, but I think it's also just this hyper-awareness of, like, I don't want to front as though yeah. I'm something that I'm not. And in my mind right now, and maybe that's part of the problem, I don't see myself that way. But I wonder if like so much of the fear of talking about it might prevent you from doing the study of people who are there, which is what we're talking about. Like we're studying what mm. happens at each phase. Because it feels like so, so lofty or so yeah. like distant I from think, me. I think I've heard you say multiple times about it feeling so lofty, so far away, yeah. so distant. It feels uncomfortable. And I wonder if... Part of getting to each of these phases is feeling like you can do it. Yeah, probably. I think this year really, if I'm being totally candid, just knocked me on my ass because last year was such a banner year and like we expected to have another banner year. Mm. And then I think going into this year, I could kind of see the potential. And I was like, oh, I could see how we could get there. And now that we're struggling to barely eke past what we did last year, I'm like, oh, I don't know. So yeah. I think that it's it's a bit reflective or indicative of the moment that we are personally in right now. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think you'll have plenty more ass knocks too after this. <laughs> like they're just going to keep coming. Like that's what we're talking about. This loops all Ooh, the way the full circle knocks. about the video game and the dragons and each level. Like the whole point is like the dragon's still coming at each phase. And I think to say, to be uncomfortable talking about getting to, there's no end of the game of entrepreneurship, right. but to like beating the game, to getting to higher levels of the game, you not being able to talk about it or like feeling uncomfortable about it because you're at a lower level, mm-hmm. I think that might be counterproductive because you're going to get there eventually. You're working to it if you want to. Mm-hmm. You can, can get there eventually. I don't know that, like, I, I'm seeing you maybe being uncomfortable about it makes me go, oh, where are the places where I feel uncomfortable about where my goals are, where I'm trying to get next? And is some of my discomfort about it preventing me from getting there? Interesting. So I'm a, I'm a mirror for you're you a right mirror. now. Oh, isn't that so nice? Well, I do think that to wrap up that the kind of big picture headline that I have for today is that different versions of your business and different versions of the game you're playing are going to require different versions of you. And that when you're really just getting the plane off the ground, that that version, that orientation is a very different one than the pilot at 30,000 feet and like becoming that skilled pilot. And I think like that transition is really Hard to make. That's another analogy. Just put them on the. Li- I mean, I'm I'm got analogies all day long. And for there's you. a bunch of transitions in between. And there's a bunch in between. That's right. Okay. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to three hundred and ninety-five dollars in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.